please, uh, you please take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark. The New Testament, the Gospel of Mark is the second book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first of the Gospels. Mark 16, we'll be reading verses 1 to 8. The Resurrection. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Sloan bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's gone ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the songs of praise for conversations, for, for your presence. Thank you for your word that reveals to us who you are, who your son is, and who your spirit is. But you also reveal to us who we are. Lord, we've come to praise you and to worship you this morning on this celebration day. Pray that as we as we worship and praise you, your spirit will shape us and form us more and more into who you've called us to be. And I pray that the words which will be spoken now, Lord, may they be your words and not mine. Amen. Hmm, the cross is empty. Jesus was crucified. He was rejected by, by God and by humanity in our place. On Friday, we took a somber look at that whole journey that Jesus made to the cross on our behalf. And after that horrific moment when Jesus breathed his last breath, everything changed because all hope was lost. Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate right after this, and, and he asks for Jesus' body so that they could bury it, treat it with respect and honor, all that honor and respect Jesus did not receive on his journey to the cross. Now Pilate is kind of going, hey, wait a minute, nobody dies that quick on a cross. So he he turns, he calls the centurion, and the centurion says, yeah, no, for sure. He's dead. We made sure of it. So Pilate turns to Joseph and says, okay, you may have the body. 
and Joseph and Nicodemus, they take Jesus' body and they bring it to a tomb. They do some preliminary anointing of his body, but knowing that they'll have to come back later. Now, Pilate, he's heard some rumors, and, and the chief priests and, 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 and the Sanhedrin, they say, hey, look, we can't take a chance with this. You know, maybe his disciples will try to take his body. So, so put a big, big stone in front of, that, in front of the tomb and, and put soldiers there to make sure that nobody can take Jesus' body again. And then create this fantastic story that, that he didn't really die. And Pilate, not wanting to raise any trouble, he says, sure, go ahead. Now, Mark mentions a number of times that, that there's these ladies who have kind of followed Jesus through this whole time. That, that they were at the cross, and, and then Mark also points to them that on this morning after the Sabbath, that they appear again. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, they see Jesus die, and they see where he's buried. They follow along behind Joseph of Arimathea. Well, Tim Keller, quoting Richard Bachman, writes that this is another way that Mark is letting us know that he's recording a historical account, not writing a legend. Mentioning the women by name so often, it's Mark's way of saying, hey, all of you who are hearing this story, these women are still alive. You know, find them out. Listen to their testimony. Hear their story of what happened that morning. And Mark tells us that story. You know, there's this question in Mark's mind, what now what? The cross may be empty, but Jesus is dead, and his body is in a tomb, and, and his body, along with our hope, seems to be dead. And when you don't know what to do, the simplest thing is, just to do the things you know you can do. And that's what the women do. They don't, they don't know what to do. They, they don't know what lies ahead. So they say, well, what we can do is treat Jesus' body with the respect and honor it deserves. We can wash it. We can clean it. We can put clean clothes on him. We can anoint him with, with, with fragrant spices so that, so that it's pleasing to the Lord and the Lord will take Jesus' spirit home to heaven. And as they're walking to the grave, they remember, yeah, we saw those soldiers roll a big stone in front of the grave. They're not going to help us out. How are we going to get inside the grave? But you know what? That's something they can't control. So they just keep taking step after step after step towards the grave, carrying those spices. And they'll figure that out when they get there. 
Now imagine their surprise when they get to the tomb. The soldiers are lying on the ground and the grave's open. Now, I don't know about you, but I always wonder what's going through their minds when they see this. This is so not what they're expecting. This is so not what they're ready for. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go inside the tomb? Or are you going to go back to where the disciples are and say, hey, there's something strange going on. And we're not sure, but we'd like to have your support. We'd like to have you with us. The women say, no, Jesus is too important to us to wait. So they head into the tomb. And the first thing they would have seen is the shelf that Jesus was laid on was empty, except for a young man in white sitting at the far end, on the edge of that ledge. But there's no Jesus. Now when you read the Gospel of Mark, Mark creates all these moments where he wants us to step back and say, who is this Jesus? What's going on here? And this is another one of those moments where, hey, this is not what we're expecting. This isn't the way the story's supposed to go. Is there something special about Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And the women are alarmed, but, but in their alarm, they're also amazed and, and astonished and overwhelmed with wonder at this young man and, and at the words that he speaks. And these motions are, are, are wrapped together much like they are for us today when we first encounter Jesus. When you first encounter Jesus, there's this wonder and awe that Jesus pays attention to us, that he knows us that he cares about us, that he reaches out to us. Even when we haven't been reaching out to him. A number of people who've come to Christ that I've known have shared that when the realization that Jesus is not someone who is dead, he's not just the man who all these legends are about, but that he's really living still, they almost all say that there's a fear that goes inside of them because they had ignored him for so long. What if he just touches them and then ignores them and moves away? They wonder, who is this Jesus? But it's a wonder tinged with the unknown, with fear. And the women, all these emotions swirling around inside, fear, wonder, awe, amazement. They've know, they know that they've encountered the sacred. 
And the sacred always, always brings us to a place of saying, why? Why me? Why now? Are you really real? Or is my heart and my head just making this up? And at that point, we, we either move towards the unknown and Jesus and his call on our lives, or we step back and say no. The women move forward. They want to listen. They want to open themselves up to who this young man is, this messenger. They want to get a glimpse of the possibilities that the unknown and the sacred hold. And the young man speaks. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Jesus isn't there. He's risen. He's alive. Let that sink in. Disciples are told to go to Galilee and then they're going to meet him. They're going to meet him face to face. Go to Galilee to a quiet place away from all the the bustle and the intrigue and, and all the stuff that goes on in Jerusalem. Go to a quiet place where they can meet Jesus and hear him speak. They're told to remember what he had told them. Here's a call to trust. And to believe that what Jesus had spoken over and over again, that he would die, but that he would rise again, that they need to trust that. They need to put their hope into something. They've seen that the religious leaders and the political leaders, the people, they can turn just like that. There's no hope in trusting them. Can we trust Jesus? Can we trust that he is who he says he is? It's hard to remember what Jesus taught after you've gone through such loss. Grief goes deep. Grief can overwhelm us. I know. When you lose someone, someone dear to you, someone that is filled with hope, sometimes you can't remember, not at first. Sometimes you have this whole process of grief to go through. The present may feel dark. But that's when scripture encourages us to look back so that we can remember and believe in who God says and in what he says so that you can find hope 
for the right now. The women walk through the darkness of hopelessness and, and loss, but now new light's beginning to shine through in, a, in an empty ledge and in the words of a young man. It's, it's the beginning of a new day. This young man offers a, a ray of hope, a little light into their darkness. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee and there you'll see him just as he told you. The, the ones who being called to come see Jesus are the very ones who had abandoned him and, and who had left him. The ones who were too scared to walk with him, to, to support him, to, to be with him in the darkness. They're being called to come see the one who is more powerful than death. Tell his disciples and Peter. Peter singled out. You know why? Brash Peter. No matter if everybody else abandons you, I'll never abandon you. I'll stick up for you to the end. I'll use my sword to protect you. There's no way that anybody's ever going to take you away from us. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. And when push comes to shove, Peter tells the people around him three times while Jesus is right there in an unfair trial, heading to the cross, that I don't know this man. I have no clue who he is. I don't want anything to do with him. In his own way, Peter had washed his hands of Jesus. Just like Pilate had washed his hands of responsibility. His responsibility to protect Jesus. But Peter is a man of heart. And his heart is broken. As he left, how could I do that? How could I betray my rabbi? How can I betray my hope? And Jesus knows that we all betray him, that we all walk away from him, that we all have times where we are ashamed of him. And that's why Jesus knows us by name. That's why Jesus calls us by name. Because like Peter, we often feel unworthy. And in times of hopelessness and darkness, We often believe falsely that Jesus wants nothing to do with us. That's why the messenger says, and tell Peter. Because Peter needs that hope. Just like we need that hope. He offers renewal and forgiveness. He offers grace and new life and strength. 
Jesus' death and resurrection brings freedom from sin, but it's also a new life, free from our, our old identity, shaped by shame and guilt, and, and we're given a, a new identity, shaped by the image of God that we're created in. Disciples and followers of Jesus striving to be the people that Jesus taught us to be and modeled for us to be as we embrace his teachings, his life, and his spirit. Jesus' death and resurrection is confirmation of, of God's deepest love and commitment to us. God never gives up on us. And he's willing to go to extraordinary lengths to, to show us that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, not any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Those powerful verses from, from Romans 8, those powerful verses that Paul, Paul who who denied Jesus, Paul who went to kill as many followers of Jesus as he could, comes to realize that even he is loved by Christ and by God and forgiven. That nothing, nothing, not our past, not even our present can separate us from the love of God. Trembling and bewildered, the, the women f went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The tomb's empty, the calls go to see Jesus. They're trembling and bewildered. The words also mean astonished and amazed. Wonder at what they've learned merges with fear because of the unexpected and the unknown. They're told to look for him somewhere else because he's no longer dead, but, but alive and well and waiting for them. Can this be true? Are they afraid of, of getting their hopes up only to be dashed again as they were just a few short days ago? The woman's voices are silenced by fear. Is it fear because of the awe and reverence that comes from meeting a messenger from God? Or maybe it's a fear that comes from fearing that with Jesus gone, it's all over. They don't even have his body anymore. Perhaps it's the fear that comes because they don't think they'll be believed because they're women. They're nothing in the eyes of everyone else. They can't be witnesses to anything because they won't be believed. Maybe they'll be mocked because of their message. Fear is powerful. Fear takes away confidence and strength. Fear creates doubt and more fear. And here, even with glorious news, fear takes away their voices, at least for a time. Does fear silence us? Does it prevent us from going out and inviting others to come and see, to go with us? to find Jesus and follow the one raised from the grave. At some point we need to choose to work through it or to allow ourselves to be stopped dead in our tracks. Running away often seems like a good response to fear. But fear is like your shadow. It follows you wherever you go. You can run, but you can't hide from your fear. 
You can't let it silence you forever. And the women do find their voice again, as we discover in the other Gospels. And the disciples learn of the empty grave and hear the command to go see Jesus. But the question for us is, how can we deal with fear? Well, we begin by admitting our fear honestly, calling it what it is. We can voice our fear straight to God in prayer. We can gather a small group of trusted people together where we can be honest about our fear and how it stops us from really following Jesus at times and really trusting Jesus completely with our lives. This is why God has given us the gift of the church, a place where followers of Jesus can share their fear and and find hope, encouragement, direction, and strength, and be reminded of the good news that we follow a living God in Jesus. And as we begin to face our fear, we discover that the Holy Spirit is with us, that we don't walk alone. Spirit helps us find our voices again. As a young man in the tomb reminds the women of Jesus' words, so the Holy Spirit reminds us of who Jesus is. He's the risen Son of God. That he's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. That he brings and gives us new life and hope. The Holy Spirit guides us to Jesus as we look for him so that you can see him and how he's with you through the Spirit and the church. I love that children's song. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Ask you will receive from this maker of mankind. Jesus is right there waiting for us, waiting for us to come. But he doesn't depend on us to come to him first. He has sent his messenger, he has sent his spirit to show us the way, to give us the strength and the hope. The spirit reassures us of the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection, the restoration and forgiveness that's found in the empty cross and the empty tomb. And this builds our trust and hope in Christ. Catherine Marshall sums up the benefits of trusting in God when she writes, There is only one way to get rid of fear. Like any sin, we must recognize it, confess it in true repentance, claim God's sure promise of forgiveness, cleansing and renewal, accept these gifts, rise up and get on with life. Not only new confidence, but real growth in character follows us facing up to what we fear, provided we are acting under God's direction. Mm, Confidence, strength. Hope. The empty cross and tomb call us to step forward in faith and in trust to declare to the world the good news that Jesus is risen and and is Lord and Savior of all. But we also invite the world to join us in following the risen Lord 
where they too can find hope. They can find grace. They can find healing. They can find peace, forgiveness, and new life. They can find acceptance into God's family. Becoming a part of something bigger than they could ever imagine before. They can become part of changing this world forever in the name of Christ, in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for raising your son from the dead. And then for, for your spirit that, that leads us to follow that call to come and see him. And Lord, thank you as well for, for the words of hope and for your spirit that's able to take away our fear. And that helps us to be bold and strong in declaring to the world that we, f- we follow a living God. Thank you. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for new life. Thank you for calling us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.